0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. It has been a while since we've been Together and uh, when's the last time we did this, guys? Man, the band's back together. This is exciting. I don't remember.
2: I want to say a month, maybe. It, it, it wasn't. It
1: wasn't the All Star Game, right? It wasn't when we were physically together in Los Angeles for the All. I think no. we've done
2: at Come least on. one or two since
1: then. Okay, all right, but it, oh, suddenly the end of the season is here. I was gone. Jim was gone. Jonathan, I think maybe you've, you've missed a podcast or two in there. I
0: missed one right after the All-Star break. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Think.
1: so it's it's so. been a while. Um, yeah, and suddenly it's, it's the end of the season, and so today we're going to talk about some of the top prospect performances of 2022. A little sneak preview. One of those top performers is going to be joining us on the show today. Uh, Jonathan and Sam Dykstra had a chance to talk to maybe the most exciting prospect of baseball, LED La Cruz. Guys, any opposition to that?
0: Jackson Furio might be upset with that, but uh, he definitely is on the list of one of the... I,
2: I, I will I will accept that, because I, if, if you're just going tool for tool... Just pure exciting, excitement, exciting, exciting. De La Cruz, yeah. I think, has... Slacked, because of the difference in arm strength, I think De La Cruz is the most exciting prospect athlete if, if, if that's a term
1: well if, if it wasn't it is now it is now all right and we are going to then look ahead to the 2023 draft class uh jonathan has already put together uh, a list of the top high school prospects for the 2023 draft class a story that went up what uh, a week or two ago jonathan
0: i think it was last week uh, time really has little meaning in general But especially since we haven't, I've marked my calendar on us talking together on this podcast. So it was either last week or three years ago.
1: Yeah. Well, Okay. Well, I think that of those two options, I'm going to go with last week. Uh, And then Jim is working on uh, putting together a similar list for college prospects in the 2023 draft class. Uh, That'll be out next week. Uh, But we'll give you a little sneak peek at that. And then we will answer a question from the mailbag. All right. So let's start right in on some of the top prospect performances of the year. As we record this, uh, the season is still going on uh, the postseason for single a and high a uh, just began and the double uh, a AA and triple a regular season still underway. Uh, but I think we have a pretty good grasp of what the overall top performances of the year have been. Um, we're going to break this down uh, into hitters and pitchers. Uh, Jim will will discuss a uh, we're kind of winging it here a hitter or two Jonathan as well and uh, <laughs> then pitchers and I don't know I don't know who I, I talked to Jim a little bit about this yesterday because uh, the pipeline newsletter for this week is going to feature some of these top performances as Jim did you rank them or, or did you I give did us not just-
2: I, I did not rank them I just I put them in alphabetical order but. But, that's weak. That is weak. I didn't want to steal the thunder from the podcast. Well, I – You know, that's, that's post-vacation. No, it's like right – It's one of these things you can't really <laughs> rank per se, but uh, but I but – I, sure Well, that's true. We but I, I do yeah. – If you want to ask me who I think had the be- – who, who has had the best performance, I have a candidate in mind. Okay. Can can we start with – Should we start with that one? Sure. Let's do we're, it. We're going to be bouncing back forth. I, I I would go with Andrew Painter of the Phillies um, who – I think he's got another start coming up in a day or two, but yeah, I, I hope so. This
1: weekend, supposedly,
2: he's not. He's going to fall just short of qualifying, I think, for the minor league ERA title. But as of now, he's got a one point one seven ERA, one hundred and seventy opponent average, one hundred and fifty to twenty five strikeout to walk ratio in ninety nine and two thirds innings. He got to double A in his first full pro season at age nineteen. I remember, Force Whitley hasn't panned out too well, but when Force Whitley got to double A. In his first season out of high school, I think Force Whitley was like the fourth pitcher this millennium behind like Chad Billingsley, uh, or after Chad Billingsley, Clayton Kershaw and Zach Granke. Um So you, know, you don't often see a pitcher advance that far. But 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 the, the thing that jumped out to me the most, I mean, Painter's dominated three levels. The stuff's been great. It's four good pitches. You know, he's like I said, he's not going to qualify for the ERA title, and he, he would lead the he would lead the minors in opponent average as well if he qualified for that, but. And I think I mentioned this to Jason. So I will just pose this question to Jonathan. Jonathan, when is the last time a pitcher worked as much as Andrew Painter has—ninety-nine and two-thirds innings—and had an ERA lower than one point one seven in the minor leagues?
1: Wow! How long do you think it's been? You could ask me too, because I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. And I wanted to ask you who it was because you told me when, but you didn't. Okay. It's, didn't the,
0: it's the benefit of you know being older and doing exactly. these kinds of things, Jason. Um,
2: uh, a clue that won't help you at all is uh, <laughs> I've, I've, I've spoken to this individual several times hmm. when he was a, a pitching coach in college baseball. He coached Josh Callmenter. Wow. He coached Josh Callmenter oh, wow. uh, at uh, Central uh, so Michigan. So we're going,
0: we're going, we're going back a ways. Um, I haven't the slightest
2: idea. Okay, 1996. Yeah, Mike Volano had a nope. 0.99 ERA.
0: No wonder you didn't remember, Jason.
2: Yeah. Well, I didn't even remember the year. I, I, he he had spent, had nine nine the minors, spent nine years in the minors. Spent tr- nine years in the minors, topped out in AAA, Central Michigan. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think. Did they draft him out of Central Michigan? I don't remember that part of it. But he coached Central Michigan for a while as a pitching coach. And I would talk to him when we were doing our our crazy deep Baseball America lists. And I was going probably like 20 deep in Michigan prospects every year. And then he was the head coach at Western Illinois for about two or three seasons. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, I mean Andrew Painter. Uh, I think one of the last couple of weeks that I did the the podcast with Sam. You know, I was kind of saying I I, I think or I writ, I wrote it. I don't remember, but like you know, we underranked him. Um, and uh, but I I remember saying at the time you know that I think he's going to end up being the best pitching prospect in baseball, and the only thing that will keep him from doing that is if he graduates too quickly because um, suddenly it's a fast track, you know. <laughs> In and in another universe, the fact that Mick Abel moved up to Double A and pitched really well and has four starts there, Phillies fans would be all, you know, a buzz about about you know the the 2020 first rounder doing that. But Painter's been so much better um, that uh, he's understandably and deservedly gotten all the attention. So,
2: well, let me ask you another question, Jonathan. If if okay. we were, if we were doing our top 100 from scratch today starting starting you know we're doing total revamp Mm -hmm. where would you rank Andrew Painter among minor league pitching prospects how high among pitching pitching prospects yes two yeah I would I I would as well I'm right there with you right behind Grayson right behind
0: Grayson Rodriguez just you know Rodriguez has done it you know at the higher level but they're not that much separating the two of them
2: yeah so
1: currently we have Yuri Perez and Daniel Espino Uh, Well, actually, Taj Bradley, Bradley, Kyle Harrison, uh, all ahead of Painter. And, I mean, you're saying this, Jim, as though that hasn't been done lately, but you guys just did that not too long ago. So, I mean, part of this is based on, I I assume, his continued performance. He's been bumped up, been bumped up to double A, and I don't know exactly when that happened, but he's continued to prove
2: himself. He's got a 32 to 2 strikeout to walk ratio and four double A starts.
0: And, and and Redding, like, keep in mind, is a really hitting-friendly ballpark. So he is not – I mean, to say he's missed a beat, he's been better.
1: And he's pitched three of his four games at home, too. So.
0: Yeah. And so, like, it does not um, – yeah, his two September starts, 12 innings, 11 hits, one run, one walk, and 18 strikeouts. It's just ridiculous. He seems to be getting stronger. Which obviously bodes well uh, for a guy who won't turn twenty until next April. He's already a big man, you know, but like he's gonna he's gonna add strength. Uh, I think he's gonna be in that rotation by mid season next year in the big leagues.
1: Well, and they've been they've been kind of stretching him out and extending him as the season has gone on as well. Mm-hmm. And Jim, when you first you know when you first put this out there as, as the prospect performance of the year. I went to look at his game log and started scrolling down. It's like, eh, you know, I know how good he's been, but I was seeing these three, four, three and two third inning starts. But that, that was the first half of the season. He's been seven, seven, six, six and a third, seven, five uh, since August. So they've, they've stretched him out. You know, I, I was just thinking like I'd kind of like to see it in, in longer stints. And then he did it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Well, I mean, I I think what they were doing was trying to make it so that they wouldn't use up all his innings. I mean, I'm sure his innings limit is right around 100. You know, he's going to probably pitch 105 or so. Um, You know, and he pitched six innings last year coming out of high school uh, in in rookie ball. So I I think that was just more a case of, hey, let's not have him use up, you know, 60 innings in his first 10 starts, and then, then we'd have to shut him down. But the thing's also been impressive, too, is if you look at it, you know, I mean, there's small sample sizes because he hasn't pitched more than 40 innings in any of his three stops, but his control has gotten markedly better. Like, like he was 16 walks in 39 innings in low A, seven walks in 37 innings in high A, and now two walks in 24 innings in double A. Like, he's gotten better and he's thrown more strikes. It hasn't been a case where, okay, he came out and just blew away hitters in, in single A, which he did. He struck out 69 guys in 38 and thirds innings, and then guys caught up to him at higher levels. Uh, they, so anyway, he, he would be my vote. I mean, there are a lot of impressive performances, but just his dominance at his age, um, he would get my vote, although there certainly are a number of outstanding performances.
1: Yeah, he touching on his control, Jim, he has not walked more than a batter in a game uh, since his first start with Jersey Shore after being bumped up on uh, June 12th. Has walked either no batters or one batter in every game since then. Um, yeah, and he just hasn't like he hasn't had a single start where he just got hit around. He hasn't allowed more than three earned runs in any game this year, and has only done that a couple times. He's only given up more than one earned run, I think, three times all year. All right, so uh, Andrew Painter, one uh, one candidate for top prospect performance of the year. Uh, why don't we stick with pitchers, Jonathan? Or you—you you don't have to just—just just don't them. tell me what to do. Yeah, I said why don't? That's and true. It was a demand of a I'm
0: sorry. I didn't mean to. That was testier than needed. I apologize. All right, give us um, something. Um, I'm gonna—I'm gonna go the offensive. Right now, we should make it clear that guys who were in the big leagues like all year were were not being considered. So you know the the big three: Adley, Julio. And Bobby Witt, uh, we're not guys like that. We're not considering. So these are you know performances largely in the minor leagues. And I I bring all of this up uh, because Corbin Carroll is the guy I wanted to bring up um, as uh, as one of the better offensive years. Uh, he's now doing it in the big leagues, obviously, but just in the minors alone, you know, th- across Double A AA and Triple A. Um, and keep in mind he hadn't played baseball since 2019. Um, you know, yeah. He, he, uh, well, he played seven games in 2021, but he missed the entire season, so we didn't know what we were going to get this year. And uh, he hit across, you know, AA double A and triple A with an OPS over a thousand, 24 homers, 31 steals, drew a ton of walks. You know, d- did all the things very well, which is why he ended up in the big leagues. You know, the only thing that's a little hard, Jim, I think, with a guy like Carol is. He, he was hitting in Amarillo and then in Reno. So, like, I, I mean, I think he's going to hit everywhere. And obviously, we moved him up to, to number three on our top 100. But that's the only reason, like, I pause for half a second. I'm not even looking at his home road splits. But um, I think he hits everywhere. But uh, there's a system, the Dinovac system, where their double and triple A ballparks are, are, are hitter friendly.
2: That's a fair point. But I'm with you. I, I think he's going to hit. I'm um, not worried about that. You know, he, this was his age 21 season, so it's not like he was in Lancaster tearing up younger competition. So I, I think that's that's valid. Now, you know, if if you want, to have his home road splits for you. Counting the big leagues according to Baseball Reference, he's he's got a, a 10.72 ops at home, but a 9.63 ops on the road. So there's, and, and the power, 13 homers home and away, almost a 9.63 ops care. is just not going to play. Yeah, so it's, uh, I, I think
1: I think it's all good. All right, so Corbin Carroll started the season at number 19 on our top 100 prospects list. Going back to Andrew Painter, was not on the top 100 to start the year, uh, has moved all the way up to number 25 now.
2: Jim, on the offensive side? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I have three guys, none of whom Jonathan named. But, uh, you yeah, know, if you want, like, I guess the first guy I'll bring up is Jackson Churia, um, who – you know, I, I guess I would call him if I, if I if I was naming awards. Andrew Painter would be my performer of the year, and Jackson Churio would be my breakout performer of the year. Um, we, you know, we knew who he was. You know, Sam Dykstra, who does our Brewers coverage, you know, had him on the list. I forget where, coming into the year, but he'd only played in the Dominican Summer League, hadn't made his U.S. debut. <laughs> now he's finishing the year in Double A as an 18 year old. You know, he's. he's Going into last night's game, I haven't looked at the stats this morning. He's hit 300, 20 homers, 14 steals, ops of 916. Again, 18 years old. That's single A, that's high A. Now it's double A. And the tools are crazy, too. I mean, he, he's got some of the best bat speed be in the minors. I think it could be plus tools across the board, with the exception of his throwing arm, which is kind of fringy. Um, but, I mean, here's another guy who we didn't rank coming into the year, and and that's one I don't feel bad about because again, it was only Dominican summer league, and now we have him as the number eleven prospect in the game. And you could, I mean, I, I think that the guys at the top top of the list are all very solid prospects, but you can make a case for even pushing him a little higher than that. And you know, last night in Double in A, he doubled and and drove in three runs in his first game. So it's I, I think to me he's the breakout performer of the year. Uh, just a, a very, very spectacular season.
1: Yeah, he was he was number ten uh, in the Brewers system to start the year, and now
2: number eleven over every system. You said you have three guys, Jim. I, I did. I didn't know if you wanted me to cycle, or we we're going to let Jonathan pick another guy, or, or how you wanted to do this. Right, let, let,
1: let's hear your. Uh, let's hear a couple more guys, and then Jonathan, you have a you have a pitcher for us. Sure.
2: Okay. And I don't have to. I don't have to break him down in in, in great. Great detail. But I the other two guys would be Ellie de la Cruz, who again, if we're gonna put uh, awards, he, he'd be my most exciting player of the year. Um and he kind of did what Churio did last year, coming over from the DSL, wowing everybody with his tools. He didn't finish year in double A. And this year he's chasing a 30-30 season. Uh last I checked, he had a, he was hitting 300 his ops was about 950, 28 homers, 43 steals. Got to double A at age 20. Yeah, three more steals last night.
0: Yeah, 46 now.
2: So now he's trying to become the miners first 30 30 guy since uh, Luis Robert and Kyle Tucker did it on the same day back in 2019. And then in uh I I'm just Mr. Awards here. My uh, uh I gave if I gave Chorios the breakout performer, Vaughn Brown would be the breakout out of nowhere performer. 23 uh, year old college player drafted in the 10th round last year. And he's leading the minors in hitting. He's second in the minors in ops. He's got 23 homers, 44 steals. He's got crazy tools, too. It's well above average raw power. It's plus plus speed. He's gotten to double A. I, I wish they promote him a little aggressively, a little more aggressively this year to age 24 because I don't quite have a read. He's, he's barely played in double A um, and he's been older than his competition. But like I said, the, the tools are crazy. And my, my best, my favorite comp of the whole year uh, on the pro side was when I was asking uh, Giants Farm Director Kyle Haynes about him. And I talked to him about him a couple times. And both times he was talking about how ripped Von Brown is. And he said he looks like he's Gabe Kapler's little brother or son. <laughs> um, that's how ripped he is, um, which I, I just, I love that comp. But uh, Von Brown, for a guy like, I knew who he was. I'm sure it's the same with you, Jonathan. I mean, I knew who I knew who he was because the Giants had taken him in the tenth round, and I do the Giants, and that was basically the extent of my knowledge. Tenth round pick, Florida Southern, he's twenty three. Okay, whatever. You know, he played a little rookie ball last year and had good numbers, but it was rookie ball. And now I know a lot more about him. But he'd, he'd be he'd be my my biggest breakout out of nowhere if that's an award. So. <laughs> Jim, you you just
1: named uh, two of the four players who are currently at 20-40 seasons, twenty or more homers, forty or more stolen bases, and De La Cruz and Vaughn Brown. You know who the other two are? I don't. One one you probably should know. Uh, wow! Very high, very highly rated prospect overall. The other is an organization mate of Vaughn Brown.
2: Oh, is is it Grant McCray?
1: It is twenty three homers, forty three stolen bases. Uh, last I checked, the other is a top ten overall prospect. Is he is he in the top <laughs> ten? That, that he's close. It, does not. Volpe have forty steals? He does. He has 40, wow forty seven uh, going into last
2: night. Anyway, and what's funny about Volpe is you know he got off to such a slow start and we got so much grief. Why is Volpe ranked so high? And he's basically been the guy he was last year ever since. At a higher level. I think it's why
0: it's important to, you know, look at numbers in totality at the end because I, I think, you know, if he, if he had been performing, <laughs> excuse me, at where his numbers are right now, I don't think anybody would have been like, oh, what's wrong with him? What You know, what's been going on with him? So it's uh, – he f- he's figured it out.
1: It looks like uh, De La Cruz, Volpe, both with a shot at being twenty fifty, which would be the first time that that's happened – since an 18-year-old did it in 1995
2: remember any it's like Andrew Jones there you go all right why well, the 18 kind of gave done. it away yeah well the 18 was, gave it away like I was trying was to think like 18 and he had to be in full season
1: ball so yeah 25 homers and 56 stolen bases as an 18-year-old uh yeah it, it, this has been a crazy year uh you know, I like to keep track of all the players who have 2020 20, Seasons we have data going back to 1958. There, are already 21 players have 2020 seasons, which is more than there's ever been in a season uh, going back to again 1958. Uh, the previous high had been 19, and it looks like it, it looks like we could have 30 or more players that end up with 2020 seasons.
0: And I think yeah, you know, with like with Volpe especially, you know, keep in mind it's it's still you know it's easier to steal bases in a ball because the you know the Limitations on pickoffs and things like that. You know, Volpe's done that upper level, so uh, you know L.A. De La Cruz has stolen a bunch of bases in Double A. He's actually gone eighteen for twenty in Double A, so it, it plays there as well. Some of the other, if you go and look at some of the you know stolen base leaders in the minor leagues, uh, you have a bunch of guys with huge stolen base totals. But you know, in A ball, it's, it's a little bit easier.
1: All right, uh, Jonathan, give us a pitcher. Well, I'm
0: trying to decide between two. You can pick them both. And they're both named Gavin. Um, I, I think I'm, I'm going to go with Gavin Stone. I, I, you know, I always find it interesting when we sort of talk about this and sort of the, the combination of prospect status and the numbers they put up and, and trying to find the, the balance. And, and Stone is a guy who he started the year in high A and ended in AAA uh, and has pitched well in all three places and combined. The ERA is just a touch above one and a half. Uh, batting average of 213. Uh, he is struck out t- over 12 per nine. Uh, the walks have been, uh, you know, have been okay. Uh, I think he's gotten better as he's moved up. Um I know he's one of your guys, Jim, with the the Dodgers, and we started talking about him when we were looking at our top 100 re rank. Um, and he's, you know, he's 23, and he, you know, he's gone from all right, he's 23 in high A, okay, but then as he keeps moving up, now suddenly he's, you know, more age appropriate. Um, so he, he's the one guy that stood out. The other Gavin is Gavin Williams uh, of the Guardians, and he's got an ERA under two. And he struck out on you know eleven point seven per nine pitching uh, across uh, high A and double A in his first full season uh, of of pro ball after coming out of East Carolina as the Guardians' first rounder last uh, last year number twenty three overall.
2: Yeah, quick two cents on both those guys. Uh, they were both my draft guys too. You know Stone was the second to last pick in the five round draft in twenty twenty out of Central Arkansas where he'd been a closer. They moved him to starter during the pandemic season. He threw a no-hitter in his last college start. And he's just another Dodgers development success story. He was 90-94 as a college starter. Now he sits 94 and touches 98 with a really low release point that makes it tough for hitters to to get on top of his fastball. He barely used his changeup in college. Now it's a a plus changeup that, that just dives at the plate. They had him – the Dodgers time scrap his downer curveball. Now he's got a harder kind of slider cutter that they're adding some sweep to. So his stuff is 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 different than it was. And then Gavin Williams – I think I've said this before on the podcast. I, I kind of felt like we kind of knew who Gavin Williams was. Like he threw hard in high school. He touched 100 as a freshman in East Carolina. But he never threw strikes. He never spun a breaking ball. He never really got in the rotation. During the pandemic year, he had a – an injury that I want to say I think he broke a finger or something, so he barely pitched and he, he wound up not getting drafted. And then he came back, and so I, at that point, I was like, okay, he's a reliever. He, you know, he's a little bit of a changeup, but it's all velocity. He, that's what it is. And then he came back his final college season, and all of a sudden, he he added power and shape to his curveball. He was throwing strikes. He was American Athletic Conference Pitcher of the Year. He almost beat Kumar Rocker. They, they duelled him inning, you know, for inning in the in the super regionals, and it was really impressive. So um, it, it's it's crazy how far both those guys have come, and 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 Williams has had no trouble keeping his stuff in pro ball. And the, the, the other pitcher I would throw out there, he hasn't been as dominant in terms of ERA, but Brandon Fat yeah. with the Diamondbacks, he was on my uh, list too. Gonna, yeah, yeah. You know, first pitcher since 2011 to strike out 200 batters in the season. He's got 202 and 155 in the third innings. He actually was among the strikeout leaders last year as well, his first full season. He was another fifth-round pick in the 2025-round draft out of Bellarmine, which is a Division II school in Kentucky. Um, And, you know, he's got legit stuff. He can miss bats with a fastball slider and changeup. I think he might get one or two more starts, so it'll be interesting to see how high he can climb. The most strikeouts – in the two thousands is 220 by Brandon Clausen. And if he gets two more starts, he struck out 11 his last time out. He could maybe top that. And, you know, it's funny when he got to 200, I was slacking with Sam on Monday when I saw that. And we both made the comment that, you know, now when, when teams really limit how many innings guys pitched, I kind of felt like we were probably never going to see a 200 strikeout season in the minors again. Um, but but Brandon Fatt, 202 strikeouts and 155 in the third inning. So I would give him a little special dispensation for that. The Gavins, Williams, and Stone, uh,
1: by the way, ranking second and fourth in all of minor league baseball in OPS against this year. And then Stone leads the minors in ERA, I think. Yeah, 156. All right, so that's a little taste of some of the top prospect performances of 2022. Jim, what did you? uh, What did you? Which honor did you bestow on Ellie De La Cruz? With your most exciting?
2: Yes, I gave him most exciting. Most no, 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 don't break because he kind of broke out last year, so I can't see see he broke out. I'd say he's the most exciting player in the minors was my award. All right, well, uh, another something else that's exciting. uh, These are my Emmys.
1: (laughs) Jonathan and uh, Sam had a chance to talk to Ellie De La Cruz, and what I believe was his English interview debut. And we have a chance to listen in on that coming up after this on the MLB Pipeline podcast.
0: Very excited to welcome in to the MLB Pipeline Podcast, one of the most exciting prospects in all of baseball, Ellie de la Cruz of the Cincinnati Reds. Ellie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. All right, let's get right to it. Uh you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you, Ellie, is everyone talks about jumping to double-A and that being the hardest jump, but you've managed it really well. What are the differences you've seen in the level,
3: you know, in double A and how have you adjusted to it? For me, it's the same because it's baseball. If I if I play baseball, the no matter where it's the same. But at AA level, I've been learning to have more placing in the play.
4: And and Ellie, speaking of the way you hit, have you always switched it? I mean, people say you're better left handed. Um, but what do you
3: do to work on both sides of the plate when you're switch hitting? Uh, my routine is try to hit every day in the both side. I used to feel more more comfortable in the left side, but now I feel I feel comfortable in both sides.
0: Yeah, Sam. And I remember seeing him at the uh, you know, at the futures game, and you took swings from both sides of the
3: plate, and that right-handed swing looked looked pretty good to me. Um, yeah, I feel I feel accountable with both sides now. That's great. Now,
0: I live in Pittsburgh and so I can't help but think about O'Neal Cruz when I see you play and others talk about him as well when they're talking about you. What do you think about that comparison? Do you
3: do you like to watch how he plays? Yeah. I like I like watching him play because he's so good and He's the taller shellstone. I, I haven't seen. And he's a per- perfect example. Uh I'm he's taller and I'm I'm taller too. I can play shelter too. Yeah, it's good to have him as
4: kind of a an example in in the big leagues. Now being at double A, you are close to the big leagues. What do you feel like you need to work on to be ready for the big leagues, specifically when it comes to your approach at the plate?
3: I think I'm ready to go to the big league. Now my approach will be the same. Be patient on the play and wait for my, my pitch. Is uh you
0: mentioned that you've been working on that approach, you know, especially in double in A. Is that you know, is that what you how you would describe your approach? You know, there there's power, there are a lot of strikeouts. How would you describe your your approach at the plate?
3: My focus is the same in every every A B. I try, I try to hit the ball hard every time, and no, uh, nobody can, nobody can catch that ball when I
4: hit. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Given some of the exit velocities we've seen out of you, uh, and you know, because of your size, you were talking about this before with O'Neill Cruz. Everybody wants to move you off shortstop. There's talk about third base, some center field. How much do you want to prove people wrong and stay at short? There's.
3: Definitely those people home. I can place your in the big league. He, he he in the big league now. Why why what I can't I can I can, can place your stone in the big league. Now you've you know,
0: Sam talked a little bit about you know your exit velocities and you've hit some of the longest home runs in the minors. How quickly do you know
3: that a ball you've hit is gone? Is it do you know right away? Yeah. When I hit the ball high in the, air, in the air, I know right away.
4: And speaking of home run distance, hitting balls quickly and you know right away, um, how much do you pay attention to analytics, things like home run distance and exit velocity? Or what do you look at to really determine your success?
3: I took out the number and the exit and I, I try to hit the ball hard every time. Simple. Simple approach. I like it. Yeah. Um, you say
0: that you want, you know, you, you, you want to prove to everyone you can play shortstop. There are a lot of shortstops in the red system now, especially after the the trade. You've got Noel DiMarte, you've got Edwin Arroyo. You know, how do you feel now having all those shortstops
3: in this in this Reds organization with you? I feel I feel the same. I feel good the same because I don't pay attention to the other guys. I just do my job and enjoy the game. And when you all get to the big leagues, they
0: can play second base and third and you can play shortstop. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Ellie, uh, I want to thank you very much for for joining us. You've had an amazing season so far. Good luck finishing finishing it off. And we'll see you in the big league soon. See you. See you in the big leagues.
1: All right. Thanks very much to Ellie De La Cruz for joining us and for uh, doing that interview in English, but as I said before, that was his English language uh, interview debut. But Actually, uh, Jonathan, you pointed out it's actually his second. He had just done his first uh, maybe a couple of days earlier, but uh, yeah, give him credit for, for uh, doing that. And uh, you guys put him on the hot seat.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, we really grilled him. We really fired away with some difficult uh, questions, but yeah, it was. Uh, and it's a different thing. I think the the English interview he did previously was you know in person at the ballpark. Uh, that's a whole different thing than doing something over over you know a recording and and things of that nature. So, um, it, it, considering how young he is, and uh, he was excited to be able to do it in English, and you know I think that. It sounds silly, but, you know, it, it speaks to, you know, who he wants to be. Like, I, I always have admiration for guys who, you know, work on multiple languages. Uh, I barely have mastered one. And, uh, but his understanding that to become the player he wants to be, like being able to communicate in English uh, will go a long way. It's pretty impressive. Um, you know, almost as impressive as his ridiculous tools.
1: Yeah, Jim, you said... Tool for tool, uh, the most exciting prospect in baseball. Correct. Yeah, who who are some guys? I mean, I I know the you know the O'Neill Cruz comp is is there and inevitable, but uh, who are some guys who have had tools this loud across the board? Is there anyone else he reminds you
2: of, either as a player or just the tools specifically? I keep coming back to O'Neal Cruz just because of the size. He's not quite as tall as O'Neal, but but because of the size and, and the tools. I mean, that, that's the obvious comparison to me. I think he's got you – know, I mean, not that O'Neal Cruz can't play shortstop. But I think Ellie LA, La Cruz probably has a little bit better chance than O'Neill Cruz to play shortstop, but, but that's the one I keep coming back to.
0: Yeah, and he loved and he likes that comp too, as as we as we just heard. So it's not one that he shies away from. He likes watching O'Neill Cruz, you know. And and De La Cruz is a switch hitter, mind you. Um, granted, he's better from the left side or a little more comfortable from the right side, but he's been fine uh right-handed uh you know obviously not as many reps from from that side but he works on both you know as he said he he you know the one thing that he needs to work on is his approach at the plate and he's working on it uh so uh, and has gotten better uh so it's clearly an understanding of what he needs to be ready for for the big leagues and Kind of like O'Neill Cruz, he wants to stay at shortstop and wants to prove people who are ready to put him someplace else, you know, as he said. So uh, really exciting year from him. And uh, another guy, I think we're going to see him maybe next year in the big leagues at some point at a very, very young age. So really, really exciting to see what happens next for for him after – uh, a very very good year that got him to, to double A.
2: You were mentioning other guys, Jason. I mean, his tools are, are somewhat similar. I mean, he's bigger physically, but his tools are somewhat similar to Bobby Witt Jr.'s. Interesting. Yeah, he's. Uh, yeah,
0: I think that's fair. You put aside sort of body type and just think about tool for tool. I like that one.
2: I mean, but granted, you know, Bobby Witt's like <laughs> Bobby Witt Jr.'s like six foot one, and and LA, De La Cruz is six five. But like from from a, just a tool standpoint, at shortstop, I mean that's that's who he's similar to as well all right again thanks to
1: ellie for joining us on the podcast we are going to take a break when we come back we're going to look ahead to the 2023 draft class and uh, take a look at some of the top prospects from the high school and college ranks that's coming up next on the mlb pipeline podcast Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. Uh, we want to talk about the 2023 draft class now. Um, we are solidly uh, looking ahead to that. We're nearly a year away, but we've already seen some of these players um, in some showcases at the high school All-American game. We saw a lot of the top high school prospects for 2023. The end of the regular season is coming up, and normally we then know the draft order won't exactly be the case this year because of the newly instituted uh, draft lottery. So there will be some wrinkles, but we'll uh, at least have an idea then of what the draft order will be. Jonathan, let's start on the high school side. As mentioned earlier uh, on the episode here, you've already uh, put together a list of the top high school prospects for 2023. Give us some, some names that uh, we should be paying attention to starting now.
0: Yeah, I think you know, the the guy who has been at the top and continues to be at the top is Max Clark, uh, the outfielder from Franklin High School in Indiana. Uh, you know, it's been kind of interesting because from a tool standpoint, it, it's not even close. He has not had a great summer, sort of production-wise. Although uh, last I checked, he he was hitting pretty well for Team USA, um, but the tools are just so, so good. He, he has all five of them. Uh, one of the thing that sort of stood out, I mean, I kind of checked in with, uh, some of the coaches, uh, during PDP league, uh, cause he's got, you know, he, he's got some personality. There's the, we'll say cockiness, a little swag. And sometimes you wonder like, is he all tools? Is it all flash? But the, the coaches are, former big leaguers loved his attention to detail, how he, you know, acted as a teammate, um, how he was willing to learn. Uh, he's constantly, you know, working on, on his swing. Uh, so I think, you know, what we're seeing now from Team USA comes after a culmination of, of work he's done all summer to try to refine his swing. So he's the guy right at the top. And typically when you talk about Max Clark right behind him, you talk about Walker Jenkins, uh, who is from North Carolina, um, also an outfielder. Uh, he had a handmade injury. So you didn't really get to see the, the real Walker Jenkins for, for most of the summer, but we're talking about uh, the chance to be a plus hitter with plus power, um, you know, probably a right fielder when all said and done. So those are are the the, the top two hitters. Um, and then you've got Travis Secor on the mound, a six-foot right-hander from, from Texas. Jim, you're going to be busy next year. These are all your guys. Um, but up to the upper 90s. Uh, he's got a really good upper eighty slider, a solid splitter. Um, and then Aiden Miller, who we all saw in Los Angeles because uh, he won MVP honors in the high school All-American game. Uh, and then the Home Run Derby. He, he's number five as a, as a hitter. Blake Mitchell is a two-way guy. Uh, Head of Blake, uh, Travis Sakari, I skipped over him. I think most scouts like him better as a catcher, even though he's uh, up to 95 off, uh, off the mound. But I think he's got a chance to be an offensive force behind the plate. That's that's the top five. I'll throw out one more arm, Thomas White, who's from Massachusetts and hadn't been seen much, uh, but threw well in the PDP League and East Coast Pro Showcase, got pick to pick his spots. But a 6'5 lefty with really, really good stuff uh, in the fastball, really good breaking ball. And a decent changeup as well.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, we got to see a decent amount of these guys in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, As you mentioned, Jonathan, I mean, Aiden Miller, <laughs> every time we saw him that weekend, uh, he was doing something else and had, had a great weekend. And I feel like he's boosted his stock a little bit. Like he was considered – I felt like coming into the summer just from talking to guys – Potential first rounder, back half of the first round, but now it seems like he's pushed himself into, you know, at least as of now, into the top half of the first round.
0: Yeah, I think he's now seen as one of the better high school hitters in the class.
2: Yeah, and I think these other guys were kind of bigger name, big names coming in. It seems like he's the guy who's maybe helped himself, at least at the top, top of the list, the the most this summer. Okay,
1: and on the college side, uh, Jim, I think you said that the what top seven overall is is pretty clear-cut?
2: Yeah, it's, I, I'm still working on the list. Uh, I don't have the order locked in. But, yeah, uh, the top seven, I, I think the top seven college players, you've got six hitters and you've got one pitcher. You've got three outfielders, all from the SEC. Dylan Cruz from LSU, who you know was a potential high-round pick out of high school, and, and then he pulled out of the draft. I don't think he was going to go quite as high as he wanted, so he pulled himself out of the draft. Um, but he's coming off a really good year for LSU. He might have the most power uh, of any of these guys. You've got Wyatt Langford of Florida, who had a breakout year with the Gators last year, hit 26 homers, and then you've got Enrique Brad- Enrique Bradfield Jr., who. Jonathan and I both remember from the first PDP League, which I guess was, what, 2019? Yep. Um, And he's the fastest player. So those are are your three outfielders. Then you've got three shortstops. You've got Jacob Gonzalez at at Mississippi, who won the College World Series last year. Um, Good defensive player. He's probably more power over hit. Um, you've got Jacob Wilson, who's the son of former big leaguer Jack Wilson, who's at Grand Canyon. Um, and He's probably the best pure hitter of any of these guys. He struck out seven times the entire season last year, <laughs> and he had a good summer. Um, and then, uh, well, I misspoke. Brayne Taylor's really a third baseman. He's not a shortstop. And he might be a better all-around hitter uh, than than Jacob Wilson and, and, and Jacob Gonzalez, but not quite as much defensive value because he's he's really a third baseman. And then the one pitcher would be Chase Dollander. Uh, out of Tennessee, uh, you know, Georgia Southern transfer last year had a huge sophomore year for the Volunteers. He's up to you know upper nineties with the fastball. He's got two good breaking balls. He's got an above average changeup. He throws a ton of strikes. I, I think if Chase Dollander was draft eligible in two thousand twenty-two, he would have been the first college pitcher taken. He, he was in, in a year where we had so many pitchers hurt or suspended or, you know, whatever, you know, just not performing. I think Chase Dollander would have been the guy that everybody was hoping would emerge in 2022. So I, I think that's your top seven.
0: I had a, sort of just a general question because I remember talking to scouts. I think it was sort of heading into the 2022 draft. And I don't, you know, uh, I haven't done much digging. I mean, you're, you're doing the college uh, college guys. But, you know, the Cape Cod League is for, for a long time has been kind of uh, – the elite college league, it still is the the best one. You get to see them hit with wood. Um, you know, it's good competition. But something has sort of stuck in my head, Jim, and I'm wondering if you got this at all, is the, uh, some scouts were telling me uh, that you know, the pitching just hasn't been good. The level of competition isn't quite as good as it used to be and that perhaps using the cape as that measuring stick it not as useful as it used to be.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's cyclical. I think college pitching has been down the last couple of years. I mean, I think we could probably trace some of that to the pandemic sure. and guys losing a year of development. And also, you know, I think that's the reason we saw a lot of guys hurt last year is guys went from barely pitching in 2020 to pitching normal workloads in 2021, and a lot of guys broke down. But I still, even if the pitching isn't as good as it has been, in the past, I think that's more reflective of college baseball than the Capes not getting a lot of the best pitchers. I still think most of the best pitchers who are pitching summer ball and a lot of guys do take the summer off. But most of the best guys who are pitching summer ball are pitching in the Cape. And I still think it, it does matter. You know, like I mentioned, Jacob Wilson, who who played a little bit in the Cape. Again, to see a guy from Grand Canyon against, you know, power five competition. I, I do think that matters. Um, I do think the wood bats still matter. So I, I do think you maybe take it with a little bit of a grain of salt, like, okay, the pitching wasn't as good. But I, I think honestly, we could have said the same thing last year. And I think we talked about it in the podcast too. The pitching was not as good in college baseball last year. Right. And so you had all these offensive, these guys putting up huge offensive numbers, um, like in, in, in the SEC or what have you. And, you know, SEC pitching, you know, all the best SEC pitchers seemed like they were hurt last year. So, like, we even made that same comment, like, okay, you know, this guy's tearing up the SEC, but, you know, like Jacob Berry had a really good SEC season. But does it matter as much because the pitching isn't as good? So, I, 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 to me, the Cape matters as much as it ever did. and I, But I just think maybe you take, at any level, the hitting stat, hitting performances with a little bit of a grain of salt because the pitching just seems like it hasn't been the same since the pandemic. Fair. And I was going to just throw out real quick, like I have only got, I think, three, Probably there's only probably going to be about three pitchers in my top 15 college prospects going into next year.
0: Yeah, the high school pitching crop, I think, is a little bit better. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out as we forge ahead.
1: So uh, Jonathan's story on the top high school draft prospects for 2023 is already up on MLB.com slash pipeline. Uh, Jim's story on the top College prospects will be up next week, so check that out there as well. Uh, Thanks to Jonathan M. in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for that question, at Jonathan Mayo on Twitter. And we have another question, uh, (laughs) this one from Kyle Weatherly, at Kyle Weatherly 6 on Twitter. Kyle says, currently there are only two first-base prospects in the top 100, so I was wondering, is it more difficult for someone like Tommy White, first-base-only prospect who should be in the draft class of 2024, to make the list when he's drafted? Torque made it but he was a first base slash third base prospect, I think.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, that's true with Torque. although I think if Torque had been a first base only and we kind of felt he was going to wind up at first base, we still would have ranked him very highly. It's just, I I think, guys, it it comes down to just the bar is so much higher at first base. You have to perform offensively at a high standard because you aren't really contributing much usually in terms of defense or base running. So you have to have an impact bat. And it's hard, you know. We, you know, Tristan Casas and Tyler Soderstrom are the only first baseman on the top 100 right now. And, and Soderstrom was a catcher coming into the year, um, although he wasn't a lock to stay there. Um, you know, I think we've talked about. I don't know if he'll make the list for the end of the season. Kyle Manzardo, the Rays, mm-hmm. who, who Jonathan has touted because he was one of his draft guys last year, is actually leading the minors and ops. He's battling Vaughn Brown, who we talked about at the top of the podcast. But there just aren't that many first basemen. Like we have trouble coming up with ten a lot of times, Jonathan, don't we? For the top ten first base list, because I think there's only I I'm doing this out of head, like twenty or so first basemen out of the nine hundred players on top thirty lists.
0: Yeah, they're not they're not many. Um and I think because of that pressure to to hit for the position, that's all you really are, are going to look at. And not that many guys have stepped up and had good years. You know, Kyle Monzardo. Uh, it's funny, I almost brought him up in, in that segment about top performers just because from a performance standpoint, and, you know, he was a you know a college performer, uh, had a, a very, very good year at Washington State in 2021, ended up going in the second round uh, to, to the Rays last year. But he was, you know, he did hit 11 homers with Washington State uh, last year. But it was you know hit more hit than power, so was he gonna be one of these guys who hit for average and but the power started to show up. uh you know he's made it up to double a uh, so he's a guy who I think is sort of on the cusp of breaking through into that group of top 100 first basemen just because of how well he's performed and you know now that he's done it you know in in double a especially. Uh, so he's one we're looking at, but they are few and far between. Uh, you know, Jim, I I agree with you that it is it is hard. Like we kind of we're like grateful that Tyler Soderstrom ended up playing more games a lot more at first base because we could shift him over there, and catching is so much deeper in the minor leagues right now that that made it a little bit easier to fill out that list. But it's uh it's tough now. Tommy White, we'll have to see. He's you know. Uh, we were all excited about what uh, what he did last year. Um, we're going to have to wait another two years if he if he does what he did as a freshman for another two years. Then I think he has a chance to be not Spencer Torkelson level, maybe, but a guy who will be highly ranked and maybe more highly ranked coming out of the draft than any first base only prospect that we've had in quite some time.
2: Well, and that said, I mean, I think the bar is going to be higher for Tommy White too he you know, he's at LSU now, he's at NC State as a freshman. He spent most of his freshman year as a DH. He, didn't, he, he played 13 games at first, eight at third, but mostly as a DH. So you're talking about, I mean, he's all that. Like, like, all, like Torkelson had a chance to play third. I think Torkelson can be an average to solid first baseman. Tommy White, you're kind of hoping that maybe he can be an average first baseman. So that bar is going to be even higher for him.
1: A little bit of historical context. Since we started ranking prospects in 2004, uh it was a top 50 overall back then. There have been 2,500 players ranked. How many do you think have been first basemen?
2: 2,500
1: on the top 100? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Top, yeah, there have been 30 lists dating back to 2004, both preseason and season. Top top 50 uh, up until 2014 and then expanded to... Top one hundred, um, and we're saying different players, like like not no not not even different, just to, to how total. How many times has a the first place been ranked
2: on thirty lists? You're saying,
1: yep. I'll say ninety, pretty That's close, probably high, Pre- barely uh, seventy eight. So th- approximately three percent. I don't, I don't the even players. get to guess. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> I knew you. I knew you knew. Sure, so I, I had it. I exactly. had
0: the exact amount right here written on my. Notebook right here.
1: How about the the highest ranked first base prospects in the history of our rankings? Uh, Torkelson, Torkelson, we talked about. Uh, he's, the, he's the highest ranked first base prospect ever. Uh, other other top ten overall prospects were first baseman. Oh, oh, top
0: ten, got any? And they were first baseman at the time.
1: Yes, were ranked as first basemen at the time.
0: Top ten. Wow. The, How the many next, are there?
1: The next highest ranked was uh, back in 2005. I think it was number five overall. Wow. Angels. Andrew
2: Vaughn was – Andrew. did Andrew Vaughn get pretty high?
1: Andrew Vaughn
0: was pretty high. He was the top 10 guy. Was he not?
1: Let's see. Vaughn. Bon.
2: I know he was in 2005.
1: <laughs> number 14. 2005
2: was Casey Kochman. Correct.
1: Uh <sighs> Other top 10 overall prospects who were first-base prospects include Eric Hosmer. Mm. Prince Fielder, was he ever top 10? Prince Fielder, indeed. Uh, Hosmer was number 8 in 2011. Uh, Justin Smoke was number 9 in 2010. (coughs) And Prince Fielder was number 10 in 2005. So, yeah, a bit of a history of... First base prospects on the top three prospects.
2: List. I was waiting for you to drop a Jonathan Singleton on us. Uh, I don't know that he ever got into
1: the. Let's he was
0: ranked, but he, I don't think he was ever top 10.
1: Yeah, that, that might take a little bit. Do so we count uh, what, Brendan McKay? Does that count? Singleton was number 27 at his peak in 2013. All right. Well, thanks very much to Kyle Weatherly for that question. And thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.